0: Good afternoon. This is your host, John, of The Research Review, creating a platform to connect and inspire. I'm here with another awesome guest today, Rebecca.
1: Hi, nice to meet you. Why
0: don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your research?
1: Hi, so I am an incoming freshman at Kent State, but I've been a full-time student here for about two years now, through some several like, state-funded grants that I've received. And I participated in the SURE program over this past summer because I became interested in chemistry as a as a discipline. I had previously very, very little experience with it, but I fell in love with some part of it somewhere, and I decided I wanted to participate in the, I guess, the heavier stuff. That's what you might call research when you're yeah. <laughs> just coming into it. But I worked with the Shen group over the summer, and I'm, uh, I've also started teaching general chemistry on the side. So this coming year, I'll be an incoming junior credit-wise. But freshman, it's kind of a funky situation. But I'm excited to continue working on my degree and also these projects I've been uh, uh, helping out with.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's really cool. You got a a head start to the game. Now, what would you say grabbed you? You said you fell in love with chemistry along the way. What would you say kind of grabbed you with that?
1: Uh, To be honest, I had never taken high school chemistry at all.
0: You just I jumped into college? I jumped
1: into college chemistry, um, partly because I'm crazy, um, par- <laughs> um, partly because I was bored. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really have much else on my schedule that semester, and I figured, you know what? Why not? And I can't even really... I struggle to find the words for how much I care about the science itself, and I am not exaggerating when I say I think about it every single day. It's... Um, I mean, it's literally everywhere in everything. Yeah. And I really, really enjoy the, just the way that empirical science is able to quantify and explain so many phenomena that seem just to the average person like uh, in some immutable fact of nature that we can't put a name to.
0: Right. It, it's, it's a hidden world.
1: It is, yeah. It,
0: it's sweet when you understand it and when you have the ability to think about it in that way, because it's almost supernatural to someone who wouldn't be able to grasp it.
1: Right. Um, but I truly think, I mean, in teaching chemistry, I've I've come to realize how much learning chemistry can benefit people and how much I wish it was um, more mainstream in yeah. a sense. I know a lot of people don't want to spend their weekends learning about like colligative properties and <laughs> stuff like that, but I really do think that understanding the natural world is a necessary part of life.
0: Definitely, and, um, I I totally agree with you. It's like I I know what you mean. Every time you mention chemistry, everyone's like, oh, <laughs> every that's it, that's everyone's probably least favorite subject, and it can be hard. It can, it can, it can be, can be yeah. hard with those those small concepts. Mm-hmm. But after taking like a semester long class or a, a year's worth of chemistry classes and being being able to understand all of those really tough but small concepts and having a better understanding of it it does change your perspective on how a lot of things work
1: it, it truly truly does i'm like i actually one of the things i can name as an example is i have been learning in inorganic chemistry about the origin of color mm-hmm. and i find it so interesting now when i when i look at like paint or just everyday objects i can imagine exactly what orbital transitions or you know electron transfers are causing those colors and it just it's like a constant reminder of just how beautiful I think the world is yeah so I I find it really engaging I always have
0: that's cool I I noticed you were looking at the green (laughs) on the wall when you were saying that yeah so tell 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 me a little bit more about the origin of color how does does that work
1: in the world of inorganic chemistry at least it Mm. has to do with your transition metals and like the Positioning and sort of the energy level of your electrons in like your outermost orbitals. And so when those electrons are, uh, when they have energy sort of input into that system, your electrons can actually jump and then jump back down okay. after they receive and then expel that energy. And that jump is actually what can emit a perfect wave that is, you know, visible to our eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, it... It happens like hundreds of thousands of times every second. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, I wish I understood it better to be yeah. honest. And so that's why I'm continuing on with this field.
0: That's really cool. Um, is, that, is that something you want, would you would like to specialize in maybe?
1: Uh, it could be right now my specialty. Well, <laughs> I can't say specialty really. I'm not in grad school yet, but, yeah. um, I believe what my specialty will be is in chirality.
0: What's chirality? So that sounds cool.
1: In chemistry, there's, uh, I was talking to my lab supervisor the other day Mm -hmm. and he sort of put it into words in an interesting way. He told me that there have always been the big 10 questions about like the natural sciences. So like back in the day that those questions might've been like, uh, what, where does light come from? Or like, you know, these questions that when we answer them, we experience these astronomical leaps in technology and, uh. And these questions, they kind of, they change as we move through uh, just time and we continue to uh, increase our knowledge about certain topics. And he told me that chirality is now one of these questions Mm -hmm. and it is such an important emerging field. I mean, it has been a field, so I, I suppose it's not really emerging, but it's incredibly important. And basically the principle of it is you have a molecule that has, or a central atom that has four groups attached to it. Those four groups, if you take a mirror image of that molecule, they are non-superimposable. What
0: does that mean, non-superimposable?
1: It means that despite uh, however you might try to, you Uh will never ever be able to get these two molecules to be perfectly in line with one another. Gotcha. And so that's very much like your hands. If you look at your hands, you'll notice that they are chiral objects Mm -hmm. and you can't actually superimpose your hands onto each other. your right hand, you can try to move it on top of your left hand, but then you'll notice that your thumbs are in the opposite position. So, I see what you're saying. And if you flip your hand over, you'll notice that the, the front, the, the front and back of your hand, uh, you can just, you can never get your right hand to fit exactly in the space of your left hand with the same characteristics. Everything, something will always be in the wrong position, right? Because your hands are chiral objects. So when we talk about chirality in chemistry, it That's has to. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, okay. I, that's how it was originally <laughs> explained to me, thankfully. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> plenty of ways of going about uh, uh, explaining that. It's it's one of those organic concepts where it's quite difficult to visualize it in your head. But chirality is, uh, there's just so much to be said about it, honestly. I struggle to choose one thing, really. Yeah. <laughs> um but these molecules—they're called enantiomers. So the sets of two molecules that are um, mirror images of each other but non-superimposable are called enantiomers. And these enantiomers have, for all intents and purposes, exactly the same physical properties, except they will rotate polarized light in equal and opposite directions. And that includes a lot of like really complex quantum chemical calculations to mm-hmm. try to figure that out exactly. And um, I couldn't tell you very much about the actual, like, uh, nuts and bolts of, like, going about those calculations and those experiments. But I can tell you that just enantiomers are, uh, the question about them is, why do they exist when it's in chemistry, everything tries to be as energetically favorable as possible? Mm -hmm. So why do enantiomers, why would one form over the other? And uh, why would they not react the exact same way if they have the same properties?
0: What why 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 do you think it is that way?
1: Uh, I couldn't tell you. I can tell you that um, enantiomers they will react with um, other chiral environments mm-hmm. selectively. So if I have the R enantiomer of something, they're classified using an RS system. Um, if I have the R enantimer of something, it will react with a chiral environment, either faster or slower or not at all compared to an S enantiomer. Yeah. So I'm really interested in the study of that, um, why that is the case, and how we can use that to our advantage, because these enantiomers are, uh, they can cause extreme harm to the human body. Mm-hmm. Like in the pharmaceutical industry, a lot of the processes that go into creating drugs and refining them and testing them is making sure that we have the correct mixture of enantiomers. Interesting. Um, there's so much to be said about it, truly. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sure, yeah.
0: <laughs> but you, you said you teach, you're an SI teacher, right?
1: I am, I've been teaching for a year. Um, and so far I've done general chemistry. I'm thinking about moving up to organic chemistry, um, but making that switch is a little intimidating. Um you've ta-
0: you've taken organic chemistry, right? Yeah, I'm in it now. Okay.
1: Um I love I love organic
0: chemistry. Really? I could
1: tell you so much about it. Ev-
0: everyone says that's the hardest class.
1: I really don't think so. No? I don't think I hate the fact that we tell freshmen that. It's so um I struggled so much more in gen chem 2 than I ever have in organic chemistry. Really? Yes.
0: That's weird. That's the class I dropped. I dropped gen <laughs> chem 2.
1: <laughs> yeah, the uh, just I mean, it, it all depends on like what you find. Uh, some people have like certain things that click more for them. Mm -hmm. For me, it's math has always been my struggle point. So
0: there's a lot of math in Gen Chem too. Yes. There's
1: plenty of math. Um, in organic chemistry, I don't think I've touched my calculator more than twice. Really? So yeah,
0: that is a relief, that (laughs) is a relief. You don't think we should tell freshmen that organic chemistry is is the hard, how intimidating it is, because they struggle so much with the um, one or two, and they're like, how can it get any harder than this? And then they it kinda yeah switches them off from taking it.
1: It's kind of like that jump from algebra to calculus in a certain way, mm-hmm. where um, you're just moving into unfamiliar territory in a lot of. Uh, cases with organic chemistry is you're just learning things that are completely and utterly new to you. Right. Um, And I guess the same is true when you make the jump from uh, not taking chemistry at all to jumping into Gen
0: 1. Just jumping into the college Um, course. Yeah. That's wild that you did that. (laughs) So,
1: I cut through it somehow. (laughs) The, just, I guess jumping into a new topic is already intimidating and I wish we didn't like cause people to shy away from it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Because organic chemistry, it's so beautiful. There's it's just a wonderful, wonderful science. Yeah. I love it.
0: Well, it's isn't it's the study of um, S has to do more with life, doesn't it? Yes, a yeah. lot of what contains um, carbon.
1: Yeah, carbon. Carbon has four bonds. If mm-hmm. you don't take anything else away from organic chemistry, it should be that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and we we all have carbon in us. Yes. Yeah. So much carbon everywhere, all the carbon. time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so from being an SI teacher, what do you think is um, What do you think are some of the best tactics to get people engaged in learning chemistry and to get the concepts across to them?
1: That is a good question. I would say um, relating to your students. And I think that so many times in academia, people who are extremely intelligent and experienced and well-intentioned can lose that relatability. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really sad when that happens. Um, But when I'm teaching my students, I can tell that they engage most when, I guess, when I am relating to them on their level, talking about like you know we'll make small talk about their classes and my classes, and yeah. and when you come off as human to them, that is so important. When I make a mistake, I just say like, you know, like, oops, you know, I'm not perfect, I you know I messed this up. And right, you're you're a student too. Yeah, <laughs> I and so like I guess just. Not forgetting to express your humanity to them, mm-hmm. I guess. I'm I'm not sure a better way to put that. But um, I really enjoy when they feel like they can trust me and, like, they feel like I care about them. Um, I try to express it whenever I can. Like, whenever I'm giving them announcements that are, like, before their exams, I always tell them, like, take care of yourself. That's um, good. Or I'll be mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and I don't know, uh, the best way to get people to learn is to make sure that they have their other needs met, and that includes their emotional needs, and uh, if we could focus more on that as just, uh, I mean, in college, there's so many barriers to students being able to perform their best yeah. because the stress, and I mean, there's this culture around, like, you know, a lot of college students don't have, like, enough food or, like, a appropriate situation at home, so... Mm-hmm. So much of that is deeply, intimately involved in their education and how they do in their courses. Yeah. And I remember you telling me about your research projects being in college homelessness Mm -hmm. and how important that is. Thank you. Yeah, I guess the, the moral of the story is teaching itself and the techniques you use to teach are not as important as the situation that student is in. Right. And you should be doing everything you can to help them first before you pass any judgment on their ability to... You know, do chemistry
0: right. No, I'm. I'm really glad that you brought that up. So it all goes back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right. the triangle. I, mm-hmm. I actually I included that on uh, my research poster at the symposium a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, if, if you're not meeting the base levels such as housing and food securities, and, or uh, financial securities, yeah. then you're not going to be able to achieve your best your best performance. Mm-hmm. And it even goes even in like you even got to consider the level of um emotional support in your friend groups and stuff like that that makes a huge difference in in academic performance i went through a period where i was really busy and i cut off a lot of social interaction because i just wanted to focus i was like okay I want to see how far I can push myself, how good my grades can get, and like how far I can take my research and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I stopped hanging out with friends on weekends. I was slow to answer to texts. Um, I pretty much just put myself in my own world, right? Yeah. And even though I, I thought if I eliminated like all distractions, I'd be able to focus a lot more on work. But it turned out I, it was a lot actually harder for me to focus yeah and it was it it took the excitement out of work right um, I wasn't motivated to do it I felt lethargic when I was writing and reading through things I just didn't want to do it anymore and my results were actually lower than when I was going out on the weekends and spending yes. time with friends so then you know I started to, I started to do that there was also a there's a, a one Harvard students YouTube channel that I watch. I forget his name, but, um, I'll shout him out if I remember for, I think it was eight months, he did this challenge. It was called like the monk lifestyle.
1: Mm-hmm. I think I saw something about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, he, he, it was something similar. He said, focused on himself, secluded himself, cut out, um, alcohol and like a lot of really bad habits and stuff. Right. And he said he looked better like physically, but. His academic performance actually decreased, yes, and he said he went back to just living a, like a normal life of a college student mm-hmm. going out again and having fun with friends, and he said he was able to his work was a lot better, and he actually enjoyed school a lot more yes and I've noticed that, and like you said, take care of yourself yes yeah. um it makes a it makes a big difference, and we all deserve it, we all deserve to take right. care of ourselves
1: that's like my biggest advice to any teacher is if you care about the well-being of your students and the grades of your students just as we need that balance in our day-to-day lives we also need it in the classroom Mm -hmm. your classroom environment needs to be tailored to the social needs of your students so having them work with their peers and bond Mm. with their peers especially in college when that environment and making those connections are so difficult for especially new like freshmen and incoming students Mm -hmm. you need to incorporate that into your teaching and your environment that you create because it can it can help your students in so many ways Mm -hmm. so I really uh I try my best that would be probably when I'm doing SI that's the thing I'm it's in the forefront of my mind.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's really good that you're building that support. Cause yeah, in, in lecture, everyone kind of just sits to their own, own thing. And then the professor, professor just, just talks at talks at everyone. Mm
1: -hmm. I try not to do that. Um, (laughs) I know sometimes they want me to, but I, uh, I would say doing SI, it has taught me um, (laughs) just, it's taught me how to uh, engage students while like, deeply caring about them and like wanting to like nurture them and help them, I guess. Right. I did not expect how much I would care about them when I started, <laughs> as, as silly as that, as that sounds. I'm like really sad and also, of course, happy that they're moving on now that the semester is drawing to a close.
0: Right. Well, I'm sure you'll still see them again, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: that's what they tell me, but you never know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that That's really cool because not a lot of people who are really skilled in the hard sciences also have compassion and, and good people skills too.
1: Yeah, that is that is my deepest regret entering academia is how many people um, either struggle to make connections with others or just don't want to make connections with others. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's difficult to come into that environment, especially I, I realized that in the SURE program, entering like a lab scene where like people are very much involved in, like, their own project and not wanting to... I mean, there, there's not a lot of time and extra energy left over for just having fun and making friends, of right. course. You know. But it's a necessary part of just life. And, you know, to, like you said, it can severely impact the performance of your work, like how you do in your classes and your research projects mm-hmm. and yeah. everything.
0: I totally. I think it's a really good... Talent for scientists to have is being able to connect and to communicate. I mean, you look at some of the most influential uh, academic figures, right. like um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, yeah. for example, you know him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, really famous physicist. The, a big reason why he's famous is because he knows how to communicate these things to people. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Bill Nye, the science guy. <laughs> he's not like a. I don't even think he had his. He was awarded an honorary doctorate, I think. Bill Nye has a bachelor's in engineering. And then he. uh, from Cornell. And he worked um, on the 747 as an engineer at Boeing before creating and hosting the um, PBS show, Bill Nye the Science Guy. So, yeah, so he was never really, like, an academic. Yeah. He was an an engineer who actually went on the workforce, and then he started his show, Bill Nye the Science (laughs) Guy.
1: And he became a formative part of every elementary school, middle school education.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And and he's a huge voice just for the field of science as a whole. Right. Because he knows how to to talk and how to Mm -hmm. communicate. Yeah. So I think... Really, that's really, really big. And that's a really good skill that you have as well.
1: Oh, I try. I'm sure that um, there's plenty of ways I can improve just as in science as a whole. I mean, um, another thing I like about science and research is it does, it shows me that um, how much, like, I guess, just staying complacent isn't necessarily a good thing, yeah. I mean, like in my own life and my own, I guess, traits that I display research and like working towards this continuous like improvement of our technology it also kind of i try to parallel it in like trying to live better i suppose Mm -hmm. like i'm not sure how to describe it best but (laughs)
0: like just as we're focused on improving the world around us yeah we need to focus on improving the world within us
1: yeah and i will also like i'll take the same principles that i learn in research of like you know controlled studies and like uh literature searching even and all like as silly as it sounds I'll like apply it to my regular life so like if I'm if I'm say I'm engaging in like a habit that I want to break say I'm like on my phone too much Mm -hmm. I will actively try to research like what effect that could have on me and then I will do I guess like quote studies to like try to really break that habit yeah so I can look at it I can say like all right well if I want to break this habit let me think of a couple variables I could change mm-hmm. that might make this easier for me. And just learning like the logic that's involved in research is yeah. so important just for trying to live better, I guess. Totally.
0: I, I mean, it it, it, change, it changes the way that you, that you look at a lot of things. Right. And you mentioned like the literature review, mm-hmm. that's something that blew my mind into how much information was like actually out there. Yes. You know of what course. I mean? And, in order to make a proper decision on something, <laughs> how much information like I should take, I, I should take in. It's because it's, it's really humbling, you know? Yeah. I used to think, hey, if I wanna make my decision on a certain argument, I could read three news articles and mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be I'd be a genius. <laughs> but then it's like, for my literature review, I've went through 40 different papers mm-hmm. for, for that. And still, I don't consider myself an expert on the topic. I, like, I'm like i knowledgeable enough to talk about it and where I, I feel like I'm qualified to speak my voice, but I, I don't know everything.
1: The most difficult part of science as a whole is getting past that curve of where you start to realize how much you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's like, I can't remember the name of it. It's called like, I think it's called like false confidence. And then you move into that area of like false ignorance where you have become more knowledgeable in something, but you understand how much there is that you don't know. So you kind of regress back into thinking you don't understand it, even though you're much more knowledgeable than people who enter the field and think, oh, well, this is so simple. I know everything. And getting past that like false ignorance stage into like realized experience and confidence, that is so important. And I think, um, your college experience few people make it past that point and I don't know
0: what do you think what do you think is the best way that we could make it past that point
1: um, just to not fear ignorance I try not to I think mm-hmm. there's inevitable gaps in your knowledge and so many people are ashamed of that yeah. but really it's not it's nothing to be ashamed of at all
0: exactly exactly you, you really you also realize too just as a society like as a society we're ignorant to an extent as a whole because you realize how much we don't know, you know, just like as not how much I don't know, but like how much we don't know as a whole about how the world works and everything.
1: Yeah, I I mean, every time I look at like anything related to particle physics, I feel that
0: way. <laughs> yeah. And I know, what is what is dark matter?
1: Because oh, I've God. watched
0: conspiracy <laughs> videos on like on YouTube and stuff on like what it is but like I don't understand Uh, it
1: I wish I did I I will say that um okay I know this might sound weird but the thing that got me thinking that something greater than us is out there is looking at um sort of subatomic particles Mm -hmm. and what they're made of and like I, I suppose just the very fact that a proton has the exact and equal but opposite charge as an electron, even if that was different than like by like a trillionth of, you know, a unit, mm-hmm. life would not exist. We right. would, and so just the, the precision and the accuracy and the perfection of the natural world Mm -hmm. is so like raw and exposed by the study of physics so yeah it's it's really interesting
0: it, it is it's 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 really it's really perfect yeah and i i agree with you it's like the more you look at things the more everything looks like building blocks in a way yeah you know what i mean it's like Someone created that and then put that there. Mm-hmm. I mean, like even even with our bodies and stuff, mm-hmm. I, I, hugely. Um,
1: with like the human body, I just think the the entire like endocrine system crazy, bonkers, mm-hmm. bonkers even. Yes, like, it's absolutely it's so, bonkers. It's so wild, <laughs> um, and I don't know. There's so much. Like I'm smiling so big, like just thinking about it. Like how much if, in science you can literally study anything for Mm -hmm. the rest of your life and that may seem daunting but also it's like it's a really beautiful wonderful thing that like devoting your life to that study can genuinely help so many people yeah and yourself too I mean you're gonna find something out there for you Mm -hmm. that matches your interests and what you're good at and it will teach you so many other things that you didn't even know you were good at exactly it's (laughs) It's it's just, it's wonderful. There's so much out there just yeah. for everybody.
0: Being being able to both push the boundaries of human knowledge and expand that that, that whole process. Uh, it, it also, it pushes the boundaries of what you think you're capable of. Right. And it expands the idea of who you think you are, mm-hmm. which is really, really cool.
1: I saw on the research review Instagram page mm-hmm. that that post you made about expanding the circle of human knowledge and how that little tiny bump you make on the oh. edge of the circle of human knowledge yeah. is what we call a PhD. Mm-hmm. And that's stuck with me since. So, really? Yeah. Like that's I mentioned good. earlier, I really enjoyed some of the things you've posted and that was one of them. It stuck with me. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think about that a lot too, Is it's like, everyone's making those little bumps in their concentrations at every side of the circle, it's yeah. constantly growing and growing and growing and growing and then I also like to think about it as like, here's the circle Mm -hmm. and then there's these little, and then, well, obviously human knowledge is ever expanding, but then on the outskirts of the circle, there's these, these little prizes where it's like, (laughs) if we can expand it to hit those prizes, there's a huge innovation that's really going to help our society take off. And you never know how close you are to those little prizes for the outskirts of the circle to eventually expand, engulf that. And then. Place that within the circle for us to use.
1: Yeah, and sometimes, sometimes it gets me thinking. Like, there are things about the natural world that we just can't possibly ever know. And I like like the Heisenberg un- uncertainty principle, mm-hmm. something that we briefly touch on in general chemistry one. And <laughs> my students know I could spend a whole class talking about it. Um,
0: what What is the Heisenberg uncertainty principle for those who don't? Don't so know.
1: it's the principle that we can't understand or we can't measure both the exact location and the momentum of an electron mm-hmm. at any given time. Because if we try to observe it with some kind of like microscopy, we would have to use, I believe it's gamma rays okay. to visualize this process or to, you know, illuminate it in some way. Um, but those gamma rays are in such, they have such high energy that we would end up scattering the electrons by doing that and that's i i believe it's so like impossible for us to know both of those things at the same time i don't know it just gets me thinking like um if there is a limit to what we can discover but i don't think there is (laughs) (laughs) i just think that's now a liar
0: (laughs) that is interesting to think about is there a limit to what we can discover yeah. I couldn't. I could never imagine, even even now. Like I think we're pretty. We definitely have areas to improve on. Right. But I think we're a generally successful species right now. Hmm. I'd be interested. What would happen if we just stopped innovating? We just stopped inventing new things. We stopped doing research, and we just were content with exactly where we are right now.
1: I think that one of the fundamental parts of the human experience and the human condition mm-hmm. is our constant desire for more.
0: Yes. <laughs> whether, <laughs> and, whatever that may be, whether yeah. it, whether it's money, knowledge, anything. Just,
1: yeah. I mean, I think that's both a blessing and a curse. It's sort of like a fatal flaw that we have that we will always, always want to know more mm-hmm. about our world. And I don't know, I guess when I start to like lose faith in like, the goodness of humanity and humanity's power to, like, work together and get things done. I, I think about how we are all somehow still united by this goal to understand as much as we can. Yeah. And there's nothing we can really do to fundamentally change that. Like, people will always, always be innovating and thinking of, you know, new, interesting, better ways to do
0: things. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> what, the, that's what excites me as well. Yeah. That's what excites me as well. Even with, like, just personal growth and everything, Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine just being content with who I am right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just, like, I couldn't imagine just me stop going to the gym, stop going to school, just Mm -hmm. keeping the same job that I have, and just continue. I I love my life right now, right? Yeah. I think I'm I'm at the best spot that I've ever been in, and I'm very satisfied with it. But... I just couldn't even though I love it I just couldn't imagine staying there yeah you know what I mean
1: I do like to remind my students um that as as tempting as it is just try not to think of yourself as a perpetual self-improvement project because it can okay. it's so important to try to improve yourself but it is really important to commend yourself for your effort yes. and where you are and mm-hmm. like what it took to get there um and I think that I can struggle with that quite a bit where I can, like, tell myself, like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, you did this, but now it's time to do something better. But really, it is so important to, like, accept our own accomplishments and, you know, take a breather when we need to. Yeah. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, to- totally. Hey, you got to pat, you pat yourself on the back every now and then because you deserve it, you know what I mean? Yeah. You definitely deserve it.
1: Every student who is entering college and figuring out that there's this whole new world for them needs to take a moment and appreciate their own effort i think
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's it is it is hard because there's so many people around you and everyone gets to the point where they start comparing themselves to other people Mm -hmm. you know what i mean (laughs) but it's like you don't know everything about the other person A, a lot of times people only show the best of themselves you know so it's, it's very important just to focus on, focus on your own journey. The gym taught me a lot about that kind of stuff. As soon as, when I first started going to the gym, I was really intimidated by like all the really big people, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, and I would, I would always stay away from the free weight section
2: mm-hmm.
0: because I didn't want, I would felt self-conscious to around the big people because like I was so, so small, um, but really, that that section, being around those people, that's the, and stepping outside of your comfort zone, that's the place where you grow. Is yes. In that in that section, that's why all the big people are there. Is because that's where you grow. And even though I'm not as as big as them, I'm in the the environment that's going to allow me to succeed. And if I just you know put my head down and work and focus on my own self and my own body, then I can get to a place. I can get up get up to their level. You
1: know, all of research is so similar because so many people don't want to do it because it's difficult. It is so difficult to go into a room of people that know better than you mm-hmm. and to admit your own ignorance about these topics. And it is so hard in our culture of this, like, uh, you know, desire to act like everything is effortless and to be indifferent about things like uh, to go into a room and. Fully admit that you don't know something is the number one step of doing any kind of research, yeah. and that is such a difficult hurdle to get over when you're constantly being told by people around you that, I mean, maybe not outright verbally, but you're being told by just our culture that like not knowing things sucks and it's not something that you should admit.
0: Right. No, that's that, that that's that's totally true. And I'm, I'm I'm glad you. I'm really glad you brought that up. That's interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, like this summer, in sure, mm-hmm. I went into a lab with zero undergraduate students. At really? the time, you were
0: the only undergraduate student. Yes, wow. I was. And and you're.
1: Not even an undergraduate, I was in high school. Right, Um, (laughs) that's wild. And so it was crazy. I was calling all the people around me doctor. Mm -hmm. um, And this guy I worked with, um, he was a wonderful, wonderful mentor. He had a son. And there was that like 10 year at least gap between us. And it was really hard. Like the people around me, I felt like such such a child. Like, (laughs) because I was, I mean, and I still am, I guess. But I always will be in the sciences, it feels like. But going into that room and having to be, I guess, the dumbest person in the room, for lack of a better way of describing Less, it. Le- least <laughs> Yeah, least experienced person in the room. It was difficult to, um, I guess, come out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And I guess I still haven't fully done that. But I have made an incredible amount of progress. And, like, I guess... For new researchers, my advice would be just to never, ever act like you're smarter or more experienced than you are. Because the worst that will happen is you will, I mean, not get, like, found out and, like, of course, like, made fun of or something. But, like, you will miss out on that experience of somebody explaining something to you. If you go into a situation and you refuse to be perceived as somebody who doesn't already know everything... Mm -hmm you're not going to get the explanations you need and you're not going to have the help that you need and you're going to have an incredibly difficult time asking for help when you do inevitably need it. Yeah. And the best thing that can happen is you'll have to study on your own and like you won't really engage with the people around you because you'll be so worried about how they perceive you and how they feel about your inexperience. Mm-hmm. So I would say don't do that. Right. Don't go into a room and try to fool the people around you into thinking that you have more experience than you do.
0: No, I totally agree with you. And plus, to that, that imposter syndrome will start to set in. Yes, it but will. It will be very real. When when I when I went in to research, I was open to learn, and I accepted that I was the least experienced person in the room. <laughs> but st- and then as I got better, that imposter syndrome would set in. I would feel like because I would still be in that humbled state but more I'd learn it'd start to set in but it was just that I didn't feel I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there even though I was supposed to be there so it mm-hmm. wasn't really real it was just a figment of my mind but it, yeah if you fake your if you fake your knowledge and you miss that growth experience that imposter syndrome is very real because you are an imposter yeah nothing in a sense.
1: nothing good can come of it
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and if you are in that situation I would say like There is no better time than now to just admit that you don't understand something, that you need help. And any good professional, like, person in academia will, like, they will not treat you poorly for your lack of experience or knowledge. Oh, yeah. If If you have somebody in your life that's treating you poorly, whether they're a teacher or, you know, a peer, and they look down on you or they demean you because you don't know something... That's not a good person.
0: That's that's someone to get away from. Yes, yeah. it definitely
1: is. And I would recommend highly that if you feel like somebody is being demeaning mm-hmm. or disrespectful to you because you, you know, don't know as much as them, that you should sever that relationship yeah. or at least have, you know, a very good conversation with them about why they feel the need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um because it's, it's not a good situation to be in, especially in a field where you need so much confidence, yeah. like research.
0: And a place where you're, you're there ultimately to grow yes. as, as a person.
1: And conversely, don't ever do that to someone else.
0: Yes. <laughs> totally. <laughs>
1: especially when you're in a, like a teaching situation. Like in SI, I have made it my goal to absolutely never make a student feel like they are less than for not knowing something. Mm-hmm. I will... Never, ever do that because it, it's just, I don't want to live that way, I guess. Yeah,
0: no, that's that, that's really good. That's really good. <laughs> I think if we had a lot more people doing, you know, going up teaching with the same approach that you have, then we'd get a lot more people who are engaged and actually like school. <laughs> right. Yeah, and who actually like school. I. That's something that I noticed was a big difference between mm-hmm. high school and college for me. Right. um I had some fantastic high school teachers don't get me wrong but yeah. I could tell that they're in, in a lot of the classes especially the hard sciences
2: yeah
0: um if it looked like you weren't paying attention or something mm-hmm. um they would call you up to go to the board and do the problem even though you kn- they knew you didn't know the answer mm-hmm. and then it was just kind of like an embarrassment type of thing it was like I don't yeah. want to do that but the the college college professors are a lot different mm-hmm. I'd say they'll actually and they'll actually take the time sit down and work with you um after class for the most part or they have the SI sessions that, that <laughs> yeah. you run. Yeah,
1: I mean, humiliation is not the move in academia. <clears throat> and I it's so like I guess it's embarrassing to me on behalf of the people who engage in that kind of behavior to the new students. I'm like I'm embarrassed that those new students are coming into a situation where like that might be happening to them. Yeah. I suppose. Because it's not like the world of academia is so beautiful and so like inclusive and tailored to, to the individual that you shouldn't have to face any kind of you know abuse like that before you get into it.
0: Right. You should <laughs>
1: absolutely not have that be in your way. There's so much other stuff that's already in your way. You yeah. don't have to deal with that.
0: You don't. Yeah. You don't want you don't want to deal with that at all. For for gra- for graduate school, um, I've heard stories of like students having to go through like a rite of passage, like with research, where they're like overworked and everything.
1: Yeah, I think, I think there is definitely a culture like that. I mean, I, I have not been in graduate school myself. Right. But I think it's similar in a way to like first year residents. And like, you know, after graduating med school, you they, they come work. into this environment where like, mm. everybody just wants to like Put you in your place, I guess. Yeah, and we shouldn't be doing that.
0: That's definitely probably where I heard it from. Yeah, because I mean they get paid less than
1: minimum, I mean, basically minimum. Yeah,
0: and the people they're working with, yeah, like you said, trying to like put them in, put them in their place and everything. I've heard a lot of people say that that was those were the hardest years of their medical journey. Yeah, was the residency without a doubt. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I'm like I wouldn't know, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just
0: from like just from like what what I've heard,
1: I can't say it. that. In my own life, and my own journey into academia, when I am in a position of power someday, if I do decide to become a lecturer or uh, some kind of authority figure in, you know, ac- the world of, like, collegiate education, yeah, I can say that through the experiences I've had with people who try to engage in that, like, rite of passage type thing, it has taught me a lot about who I want to be and who mm-hmm. I will be, and so... To anybody who's like experiencing some kind of pain like that, that somebody's putting you through, I mean, it is certainly a valuable lesson on how not to treat people.
0: (laughs) Right. Totally. It's good for us to go around and identify that. And it's like, there's a lot of really bad people in the world, just like in general. Mm -hmm. And you have run-ins with them. Honestly, you could take it as a growth experience.
1: Yes. And you can disconnect your self-worth from your work too. Yes. That's so important.
0: It's yeah, and a, a lot of people find it hard to do because right. you become so so involved yes. within it, and it because you you work so much on it, it, it becomes it becomes who you are, mm-hmm. but it's your work is a lot more susceptible to be critiqued and shot down and criticized than, than you are as a person. Yeah. So a lot of times it's like, and and that's that's what. The, the whole idea of research and discussion is meant to do is to, is to critique work and, and yes. to point out its flaws. So that way we can ultimately correct it and make it better. Mm-hmm. But it can hurt when that's something that you're so heavily involved in and it, you attach yourself to it. Right. But, yeah, you gotta, you got to separate it and then look at it from the same perspective that they are. And it's like they're just trying to make, make it better.
1: Yeah, there's definitely, definitely a lot of constructive criticism in the world of research. Yeah. And uh, it is important to be able to recognize the difference between constructive criticism and when somebody is maybe just resentful for whatever reason of either your potential or your success. But thankfully... So many of the people around you, when you're in research, want to genuinely help
0: you. Yes,
1: and they they really care about your success and your the quality of your work. Mm-hmm. And I I do really I really like that about my lab group. The professor I work with has never ever made me feel like you know I had failed in some way or like uh, he wasn't proud of the work I was doing or like he was disappointed that I didn't already know something and. It's just so important to find an environment that suits you that way.
0: Oh, totally. I want to say I was very thankful with my mentor, Dr. Amy Ward. I didn't even uh, know her at first, and then Miss uh, <laughs> Angoski connected me with her. First meeting, I sat down, we automatically clicked, and yeah. she's been she's been there for me for the whole the whole research process. And her expertise is more in transportation, and she works in the geography department. But I came to her with the idea of college student homelessness. And she immediately was like, yeah, let's you know s- step into a new field. And, they, and she was willing to explore this with me. But yeah, she's, she's been there the whole time with me through, through successes and failures. And it's good to have someone there who picks you up after not winning something <laughs> yeah. or making a mistake. And it's just like, hey, we'll get them next time. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, of course. So ha- have, have you talked about your research project yet?
1: I don't think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've been very inspirational so far. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> that might be what I'm best at is just, uh, you know, giving advice maybe. Yeah. I don't know. but Well, you're a teacher. <laughs> I try to be good at giving advice, and I get asked for it a lot, mm-hmm. te- teaching freshmen. But um,
0: As a freshman.
1: Yeah, as a freshman. Um I will be teaching juniors next year, possibly. Really?
0: So <laughs> you might be teaching me.
1: <laughs> Organic chemistry?
0: Maybe. Mm, no. Well, maybe second semester. <laughs> well, I maybe might be.
1: I, I might be there actually, but uh, I'd love to have you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, uh, so my research mm-hmm. was on nanoparticle catalysis, and essentially, in measuring the. Um, Well, I should probably talk about what catalysts are, so give me a moment. Um, So, catalysts are something that can be introduced to a reaction that are not modified by a reaction, or I guess I should say not used up by a reaction. And those catalysts can significantly speed up the rate of a reaction, they can cause something to happen much, much quicker than it otherwise would. Um, I believe a good example is the enzyme fumarase. Let me make sure real quick. Fumarase. Essentially what it does is it can speed up a reaction that otherwise would not happen, basically, Mm -hmm. um, to be extremely fast. So yeah, fumarase hydratase is an enzyme found in the cytoplasm and mitochondria of all eukaryotes, and it is involved in the Krebs cycle. And I essentially it can speed up a reaction that just on its own would occur so in like such an infinitesimally small amount that like it wouldn't necessarily be capable of supporting life yeah and so all enzymes in your body are catalysts because they participate in reactions in that way they speed them up and there are several different types of catalysts the two main categories are homogeneous and heterogeneous mm-hmm. And those have to do with the states of catalysts. So a homogeneous catalyst would be something that is in the same state as your reagent. So an acid can be a, a homogeneous catalyst because maybe you have liquid reagents and then you have a liquid catalyst. Um, and essentially that acid will in some way speed up the rate of your reaction and then be regenerated at the end of your reaction. However, the focus of my research is in heterogeneous catalysts. Um, uh-huh. So those are maybe like a solid item or object that can speed up the rate of a reaction um, with like, you know, liquid or gas reagents. Mm-hmm. Liquid, probably. Um, but the catalysts um, you can use for these reactions, you can use enzymes which are biological. Um, they're very, very good at what they do because they're so specific and selective. Um, of course, we've evolved through like thousands and thousands of years to, you know, have these uh, enzymes do exactly what they need to do. Yeah. The problem with enzymes is they can denature really quickly in the wrong environment. They need to be in
0: the... What do you mean by denature?
1: So an enzyme is kind of like a, um, I I would say, okay, so imagine like a shoe, Mm -hmm. okay? And when you're you're catalyzing um, something, that thing, if you have a heterogeneous catalyst, your reagent will like fit into that catalyst. It's called an induced fit model. Um, So like your shoe, imagine that's your enzyme, your catalyst, um, that enzyme is going to accept things that fit into it very specifically. Mm -hmm. So like your foot, you you know, your shoe has to be the right size for your foot to fit into it. Um, And if it's not that, you know, that reaction, I guess, in this analogy can't happen. Your shoe's not going to fit. And, when an enzyme denatures essentially the very specific fit of that enzyme changes and that can change due to temperature it can change due to pH or just um after being used several times in a reaction and i guess like several thousand times in a lot of cases, but that might look like, I don't know, maybe your shoe like starts melting. You have a <laughs> pair of Crocs and they like completely melt into the pavement. And they like, can do that
0: if you leave them out in the sun for too long.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then like, you wouldn't have, of course your induced fit model would not be very good. Then you'd have right. melty shoes. Um, and you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to get, you know, your foot or like your reagent into that mm-hmm. crevice that needs to fit perfectly. So enzymes are good because they're so specific and so effective, but They're very fragile. So in a lot of industrial processes, people don't want to use enzymes because of that. Um, Instead, they'll opt for synthetic catalysts like uh, nanoparticles or precious metal catalysts. Um, And so that's what I studied. I studied titanium dioxide nanoparticles and gold nanoparticles as synthetic catalysts. Mm -hmm. So those catalysts, they are slightly less... um, specific in like what they're tailored for and they require a lot of like i don't know for lack of a more scientific word like finagling to
0: get them to to
1: work how they should
0: no i i I like that (laughs) word better
1: (laughs) but uh they're you know they're also they can be even though they're precious metals they can be less expensive because Mm -hmm. i mean you don't have to like harvest them or grow them in like a biological sense you can just mine them and then process them and then use them so these synthetic catalysts of course if they're being used in industry we need ways to make them more or less effective depending on what we need you know in most cases more but in some cases you might want them to work less quickly right um There's all kinds of things we do with them. We use them when we're treating metals, when we're, you know, in energy production. Solar cells use them, supercapacitors, everything. Um, And they can also be used in a lot of, like, bioremediation applications. So, Mm -hmm. like, if we created uh, catalysts that can break down toxic waste and, like, cellulose specifically, there's so much, like, cellulose waste that we could eventually start to break down using catalysts.
0: And you're, Um, you're looking into how to do that process faster?
1: Yes. And okay. r- yeah. And so when you have a synthetic catalyst, you need to customize it very specifically and very effectively yeah. because it's a, it's a big investment for these companies. I mean, you don't want to buy like hundreds of you know pounds of platinum just for those platinum catalysts and not work very well. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> so you need to modify them. And so my research was on the, well, my group's research was on the effect of surface defects on the catalytic rate of titanium dioxide nanoparticles.
0: <laughs> that's cool. So well, how did you how did you test that exactly?
1: So that's a good question. There are two different ways you can measure, well, plenty of different ways, but two main ways to measure the um, speed and efficiency of a catalytic reaction with mm-hmm. a heterogeneous catalyst. And those are ensemble measurement and single- uh, single molecule methods. So the first is ensemble measurement and that is probably slightly more intuitive, um, where you take a quantity of reagent and you sort of put it into your, you know, reaction media and then you measure your concentrations and then you express your results in concentration. Okay. So you can, you can do, you can measure quite a bit with that. You can measure how fast something occurs. You can measure, um, how much of something is converted and you can measure like, you know, basic, basic, uh, empirical data about like how quickly something changes and what it changes into. Right. However, it's kind of a shot in the dark when you're trying to modify these catalysts, if you don't know very much about their specific structure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So in the world of s- single molecule techniques, what you're doing is you're actually using a really sophisticated, complex optical system to measure in on a microscopic scale Individual reactions, yeah, which is like incredibly difficult to do, and the way that we do that, at least in my lab, was through fluorescent spectroscopy. So we took a marker molecule that would create a fluorescent signal mm-hmm. when the reaction took place, and that um, that molecule was amplex red. It's a it's a dye that creates a fluorescent signal when it's converted into resorufin, yeah. which is the product. And so we would put our uh, nanoparticles into a media. We would sort of adjust our, like, lens so that we could see them. And then we would create a flow cell where we would run our reaction, like, our reagents through at a very, very slow rate continuously for, like, hours at a time. Mm -hmm. And every time this reaction took place on the surface of this nanoparticle, we would see a little blip come onto our screen, like a little light, basically, a little fluorescent signal. And that was...
0: Like a like computer screen?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we had a monitor, and, well, they <laughs> we have a monitor, and it would essentially create, like, a little, like, fluorescent dot on our screen. Mm-hmm. And using, like, really complicated, like, mathematical, you know, techniques and all that, we could essentially figure out where these reactions took place the most and how, what type of nanoparticles created the most um, efficient turnover rates and, and all of that. Yeah. So.
0: That's really cool. <laughs> how, how did you get into uh, the lab? Like, how did you figure out it? Because you said you were the only undergraduate student. Right? I was.
1: And literally all I did was I went to my professor's office hours and I said, hey, I really like chemistry. And then he said, you want to work with me? Really? <laughs> not, I mean, not it's really. <laughs> <laughs> it was more complicated than that. Well, yeah. But, <laughs>
0: but it, it's, it, it, is, it is kind of that easy.
1: Yes, it is. You know? I wish more people knew that. Mm-hmm. It really is. I just honestly just send the email, just go to the office hours, just have the meeting. The worst they can say is no. And uh, he actually brought it up to me that the SURE program was a thing. And then I applied the day of the deadline and he said, yeah, sure. I'm going to write you a letter. And I had only known him for like a semester at that point. He was my Gen Chem 1 professor. Okay. So I went into this research having only taken Gen Chem 1, no high school chemistry. (laughs) And um, Dr. Shen was the most kind and gracious mentor i could have asked for
0: that's awesome i i've heard he you said he teaches gen chem one yes he does he i've heard good things about him
1: he is genuinely incredible he's he's so intelligent and like um just genuinely a kind
0: person Mm -hmm. really but yeah it is it it is so easy to get involved like you said just send the email (laughs) yeah like you go to a um you go to a, a just the staff directory or whatever even yeah. if if you don't want to if you don't say if if you don't like any of your professors for whatever reason or you don't like you don't want to do research in any of the classes that they're teaching you just go to the staff directory and you can, you can shift through um, specializations and all that kind of stuff. You can read about them, a description of their research and what this professor is doing. And they have their email right there. And yet you just send an email saying, hey, my name's so-and-so. I'm a, a, a this year major. Um, and then t- say, like, I, re- I really like the work you did with this and this and this. Um, is there any opportunities that you have for me to do research with you? Yes, and it's just it's, like that.
1: Yeah, it and it's so worth it too. It really is. Mm-hmm. Like I really highly recommend it um, just for your personal interest and your resume. Yes.
0: It's really good. Oh, it's so good. And even if you don't want to go to grad school. Yeah. It, employers will just look at that and be like, "Wow, they did research."
1: Because you need you need to learn communication, you need to learn logic, you need to learn professionalism, all mm-hmm. of these things that They'll look at your resume and they'll see that you can do those things because you've been successful in research to some degree.
0: Right, and they're re- they're really interested in the in the research process too. Mm-hmm. They ask like, "Hey, what have you learned from the research process?" Like, with my recent interview over at the Akron at the Akron job, that's exactly what they asked me. And they're like, "So what have you what have you learned from the research process?" And they wanted to know like more about how I shifted through sources and how I ended up making conclusions with vast amounts of information and the, my ability to communicate my project. They didn't care that much about the project itself.
1: Yeah, but learning to communicate it. So if you have a friend named John who invites you yeah. on your, on his podcast, uh, it's actually good practice. Yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is. It's always, always, always really fun, fun conversations. Yeah. And I learn a lot, too. Yeah. I've learned so much from uh, the podcast, not only about... I would encourage, I mean, I would encourage everyone to start one Mm -hmm. and anything, you know, anything. There's three things I think starting a podcast really helps you with. Yeah. Uh, The first thing is it helps with your own communication skills Mm -hmm. and it sucks listening to yourself (laughs) talk, but it does help you realize those really small things like the likes and the ums, and I sometimes I I, I stutter or, mm-hmm. and, eventually, just listening to that over time and then editing those out and being aware of those, my speech started to become a lot more clear and I started to become a lot more articulate in the way that I talk too. Yeah, and, the other thing. It helps you make connections uh-huh. and learn different perspectives from people. You know, such as yourself, <laughs> like the way the way that you were talking about. You know, seeing, looking at the natural sciences is so important because it shows you the hidden world and how you say you look at everything and you have a different perspective of how things work because you have that knowledge. Uh That is something that I take away (laughs) and that I think about and I'm going to go around looking at these small things and thinking about the processes. And that's something I'll I'll carry with myself, you know. Also, Mm -hmm. it's really good for your connections abroad too. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's so so many like just random people who know me because of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like just they'll like see the, the research review social media page and they'll um, uh, see like the clips or the a quote on a friend's story and then they'll meet me in person and be like, I like your podcast for yeah. whatever reason. And that's that's good too, because also a lot of these a lot of the people who say that they haven't been involved in research themselves. Mm-hmm. And then I've had people sit down with me and be like, hey, I want to, I even at other schools, I have a friend over at Cleveland State who listens to the podcast. He said, I want to look into um, patterns of yeah. gentrification in uh, Cleveland neighborhoods. And he said, how would I go about collecting data for this? And I kind of talked him through a couple of the uh, methods and encouraged him to reach out to a professor because the professor will really help him. And now he wants to, he wants to go out to grad school.
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's incredible.
0: Yeah, so it's, you know, reaching out to um, and inspiring more people to be involved in research and to improve the world around them and improve themselves. So I think a really, really cool thing that I've gotten to watch and experience.
1: Yeah, I think it's an incredible thing you're this. doing.
0: Thank you. It's it's fun. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really, really fun. No, I'm having fun. <laughs> this, is. Yeah. this has been this has been a really good conversation. Um, so what do you want to do exactly? With oh, your career.
1: Goodness. Um, at the moment, I'm looking at studying abroad for some time to improve. I want to be fluent in Chinese very soon. And then I want to... I, I don't know, to be honest. I just don't know. Yeah. And it, uh, I think part of that is because nobody in my immediate family has gone to grad school. Mm-hmm. And I don't know very much about the process. And I... Like I, I mentioned when I came in today like I've been even thinking about going pre-med I've been thinking about all kinds of things and I think that something that will really help me refine my perspective is to study abroad yeah. for some time where do you want to go probably Taiwan or Taiwan? China oh, yeah. that would
0: be cool yeah especially if you're looking to become more fluent
1: yeah Ty- Taiwan is a my family had an exchange student from there last last year. And she was a very big part of my life. So mm-hmm. I would end up uh, going back to visit her for quite some time. That's cool. Hopefully.
0: That's really cool.
1: And then mainland China, there's, there is so much to offer there. It's such a like rich and um, beautiful country. From, it is. It like, is. <laughs> I've always
0: wanted to go over there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It's just, um, I don't know, there's so much out there. It's difficult for me to choose. Yeah. At the moment, though, I think I'm going to Thankfully, Kent State offered me a very good deal for my tuition, mm-hmm. so I have four years, and I'll graduate essentially debt-free. And I need about a year left on this degree, mm-hmm. so I have three years to just kind of goof around, I guess. Do whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: sweet. Well, you could do, you know, keep doing, keep up with your research. Yes. Maybe if you said if you want to go with the pre-medicine, I think mm-hmm. I think that'd be something definitely to look look into.
1: I'm going to take a rock climbing class.
0: Really? Oh, that would <laughs> yeah. be sweet. They have, the rock wa- they have the rock wall over at the rec. Yeah. I've always wanted to – I see it all the time. I've always wanted to climb it, but I haven't gotten around to it yet.
1: I asked my students actually the other day, like, hey, what, have you guys taken any cool classes I should take? And uh, they recommended rock climbing and glass blowing. Oh, so glass blowing would both be both of cool. them I think I'm going to do. Yeah. Because um, I, there's – I don't know. There's a lot Kent State has to offer, and I'm excited. I'll get to experience it without really having – a terrible amount of stress of like having to keep my uh on track for graduation. Yeah, I got, yeah, I got really. all the time you, in the world.
0: You have plenty. <laughs> you have plenty of time. It's it's amazing that you're doing all of this right now. I think that's that's really cool. I
1: had so much help, really. I mean, I had a wonderful, wonderful family to help me, and I have, of course, access to the, those state-funded programs, and mm-hmm. just I had wonderful professors too. Yeah, and so <laughs> I'm really <laughs> grateful for all that. I definitely didn't do it all on my own.
0: Yeah. Same. I, I think, and then that, that shows you, you know, why it's so important to be a good person to others. Yes, of course.
1: Well. I hope, I really, really genuinely hope that someday my students will look back and say, you know what? I decided to go into chemistry in part because I had that SI leader that encouraged me and yeah. like helped me, uh, you know, feel good about myself when I was learning chemistry and she inspired me at least a little bit right.
0: to be where I am. You, you probably bit, did make a big difference in a lot of people's trajectory, you know, what they what they thought of the subject as a whole.
1: I hope so. And I hope that other people realize how easy it is for them to do something kind like that and make a big impact.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so easy to be a kind person. <laughs> it really is. And the, the <laughs> amount of effort it takes to make a difference within people's lives Minimal. It's not even comparable to the reward that you receive for it. Right. Yeah.
1: I've never done anything that's been as fulfilling as SI and as fulfilling as research. And just being on campus, I feel like there's just so much out there. I don't know. It gives me so much hope. A couple of years ago, I actually went to my high school counselor and I said, I don't want to go to college.
0: Really? I did, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and <laughs> why not? Why not?
1: Because I... I felt like that was, uh, of course, I was just being a bit, you know, rebellious and, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to, you know, subvert expectations. But I just didn't see the appeal, I guess. And now that I'm here, um, I can't believe I ever said that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 a lot different, like, when you get here. You know, back in high school, I was never really involved in, like, school. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't, act, I actually really, really didn't like school at all. And I never, never thought I'd end, end up doing research. Yeah. Um, that's been such a huge confidence booster as well, especially work, like working with my mentor and all the trust that she's put in me for the project and showing me that I can, I'm capable of, of doing this kind of stuff. Right. So it's, it's definitely a huge confidence booster and it's a really good growth experience for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Rebecca, if you had one more message to share with the world, what would it be? Uh,
1: it's. All up to you, really. <laughs> um, so, do what you can with it. Uh, just remember that you've got so many people in your corner to help you. So, don't be afraid to ask. Yes.
0: Don't be afraid to ask for help at all. Uh, there's a lot of people who are willing, and it's your life. Do what you want with yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The
1: good news is it's your life. Bad news is it's your life. Yeah. <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> Double edged sword. Right. But.
1: I wish. I genuinely wish the best of luck to everybody who has listened today. Um, I know you're going to do something great if you're dedicated to your studies and to just, you know, your part in your community, you're going to do great things.
0: Rebecca, it's been really awesome having you on.
1: Thank you for having me. I really, I really did have fun.
0: Yeah. You're welcome back anytime. we just shoot me a text and we can get cameras in next time for sure. (laughs) After I shave and everything. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Well, again, this is your host, John of the research review, creating a platform to inspire. Peace out.